You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up this hour, the AI hypercycle. It's helping TSMC, the company reporting better than expected sales on that boom in artificial intelligence applications demand. But can it support the second half? We break down the numbers. Plus, the fate of Microsoft's $69 billion takeover of Activision Blizzard. It's in the hands of a judge, but it was merger arbitrage specialists glued to the court in San Francisco. Some even paying line sitters to snag a seat at high stakes hearing. We have the story. And Meta's newest social app, Threads, topping 100 million users in less than five days. Can this hype cycle hold? But first, TSMC. Let's bring in our in-house expert, another than Bloomberg's Ian King, another Brit to add to the mix today. And Ian, is it because we've seen the stock already outperform so much that we're seeing a little bit of weakness, or is it more that we're worried about the second half? I mean, it, it, it's a mixture of both there. I mean, the way to look at this performance is really well. It's, it's not as bad as people thought it might be. I mean, the, there are no runaway expectations of things getting better here. It's just like, well, they kind of did better in a way that we may have expected and things really for the majority of their business, which is really the smartphone industry, just still don't look that good. If we simplify the story... TSMC is a contract manufacturer. It makes chips for others who design them. The story, smartphone, PC, bad, AI, good, basically. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely it. I mean, 40% of, around 40% of their sales are from the smartphone industry. And that's going to an industry that's going to be down roughly 10% this year. So not, not brilliant at all. And that obviously has wider implications. On the other side, high-performance computing, which is PCs, but also the data center. And as we've seen, if you've got people like NVIDIA giving you orders, giving you orders for very expensive chips, then that's a good place to be. Yeah, it is. And for many, the worries and constraints have been on the supply side. How much is that TSMC's concern? 
Right now, not so much anymore. I mean, I, I think everybody would like to see, uh, you know, a, a lot more volume. Um, what we're seeing in terms of this better than expected performance is really a, a value story, right? You know, you're looking at a smartphone chip which is 30, 40, you know, $34 a, a go compared to some of NVIDIA's chips which are in the thousands. Obviously, if you're selling chips that cost the thousands, then your margins are really good and that helps your revenue. But really, you want those factories full as well and that's going to get you, you know, your gross margins up. We've been talking a lot about an AI hype cycle. But, and Caroline, this is interesting. Behind the scenes, Ian has been teaching me things, <laughs> which sometimes goes well, sometimes doesn't. H100, A100. These yeah. are high-power GPUs. Yep. Very specific use case to the training and inference side of large language models. But you still need the memory chips. Correct. Why? Explain why being on the same board, GPU, CPU, DRAM is important. It's all about data sets, right? The bigger the data set, the more parameters, the more information, the better your calculations are, the better you can train it, and the better your inference is down the line. What do you need to handle those large data sets? Better storage and bigger lumps of memory that sit next to those processors. So in theory, Micron, Samsung, Hynix, all of those other companies should be benefiting from this. Unfortunately, smartphones, PCs, not great. Bloomberg's Ian King, Mr. Chip, we call him. Thank you very much. (laughs) Now coming up, what the fate of the Microsoft Activision deal in the video game space has in store for that industry at large. We're going to discuss all that with Convoy Ventures, Josh Chapman, a VC whose singular focus is the video games industry. Speaking of, take a look at shares of both Microsoft and Activision. We expect imminently the judge to decide an outcome in the FTC hearing or trial for a temporary block on that deal. Activision up half a percentage point, a soft proxy for the direction of travel of where investors see this going. But as we've discussed, Microsoft down 2.6%, really big points drag on the Nasdaq 100. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. 
And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The Microsoft Activision deal is the biggest video gaming and tech deal ever. And it's pretty important for the arbitrage community too. Portfolio managers, analysts and specialized brokers who bet on whether mergers will go through flew in from all over the country to sit in on the hearing over Microsoft's takeover deal here in San Francisco. Bloomberg's Martin Nyack is here for more. So you've spent days and days in that courtroom. It was a five-day hearing, yes. Mm-hmm. Alongside some suited and booted individuals, who are they and why they're there? So, you know, I, I was interested uh, to see some line sitters, and then I noticed that they made way for folks in in suits and, and formal clothes, and they really stood out in San Francisco. So I was wondering, you know, who they were, and it turns out that they were merger arbitragers and analysts, uh, you know, who were there to just see what was going on, and they were taking notes, you know, feverishly and uh, keeping a very close eye on, on, you know, all the little grimaces and, and sort of the body language of the judge. New Yorkers, be busted, don't go to SF in your suits. Malthi, what's interesting is, of course, they're trying to discern any frowns, any facial movements, and basically how this court case is going. From your writing, it seems that perhaps not to well, the FTC's advantage. It definitely seems like from the last round of questioning by the judge on the last day, she really grilled the FTC and asked for a lot of evidence that wasn't really produced in court. So it definitely seems like right now the companies have the upper hand, but you never know with with judges. Some of them, you know, they may ask a lot of questions in court, but they won't go very far in terms of taking drastic steps like blocking a deal. So we'll have to see how it all plays out. But definitely the sentiment now is among the arbitrage community even that perhaps the companies right now things are looking good for them. So there are some things we need to consider about outcomes and scenarios. If this goes in Microsoft and Activision's favor, there is a deadline on the deal. We've got to think about that. The UK has a completely separate regulatory process going. Bring us up to speed on what might happen next. So we have this July 18th deadline that's looming, and the companies have to move quickly to close the deal. So everyone is waiting for this ruling to come down from the judge that will sort of be the first round in the fight with the FTC, which is trying to temporarily block its uh, deal, uh, block the deal right now. So uh, also, you UK regulators have um, said that this deal won't, you know, have, have said that this deal can't go through. So we have Microsoft, which has appealed that decision. We'll have to see what happens in terms of how they plan to close the deal around that. Uh, there, there could be a scenario where they just decide to go ahead and close the deal, but, you know, keep the both the entities separate for a while. Perhaps they could do that globally or only in the UK. So we'll have to see how that works out in terms of how, you know, they, they work around the UK decision and, and sort of the appeals process around that. July 18th, clock is ticking. Malthi Nayak, thank you so much for bringing us well, the legal expertise, what's happening in the courtroom. Let's look at how it affects the ecosystem. We're pleased to welcome Josh Chapman, managing partner at Convoy. It's a Denver-based VC firm investing in all things gaming. Josh, great to have you back on. And does this affect the ecosystem if it doesn't go through? 
it does affect the ecosystem. So right now, there's about 45 billion that's sitting in cash on the gaming corporates, and then secondarily, there's about 175 billion that's sitting on the balance sheets of tech companies that have gaming divisions, such as Meta or Microsoft. So this ruling certainly does have quite an impact on what's going to happen next around vertical in integration and M&A in the gaming industry. And of course, Ed, the argument, for example, in the UK, has been about the cloud element yes. to gaming in particular. Yeah, and what's so interesting is when I had Bobby Kotick on the show a few weeks ago, he said this isn't anything to do with cloud. It's a tiny market. We're not there yet. We write time and again, Josh, in our Bloomberg News stories that this deal will reshape the landscape for video games as an industry. Does it? In part, it doesn't reshape it in the sense of sort of upending the entire console market. If anything, this is a continuation of very competitive and healthy competitive markets, right? I personally am on the side of I don't believe that this acquisition is anti-competitive. And so from a cloud gaming perspective, Microsoft actually is the perfect cloud infrastructure platform to build an entirely new market. In addition to not only cloud gaming seeing more competition, you also see the rise of more competition in the mobile market, the Xbox Game Pass mobile store that they want to launch. So this adds a ton of competition already to the industry. Um, and so certainly, you know, they could actually be responsible for creating an entire cloud gaming market. When you think about some of the compromises, offering Call of Duty on other platforms as an example. What kind of disruption does that give the industry? Because it changes how players have historically accessed those games. There's a lot of loyalty, right? You're either PlayStation, Xbox, you're a PC gamer. Does that mess yeah. things up a bit? I don't think it messes it up. If anything, I think it actually keeps the playing field across gaming, specifically with Call of Duty, which is really the number one topic right now. Right now, Call of Duty is played by about a million people on PlayStation. So from an economic incentive perspective, Xbox has no economic uh, incentive to remove that game from Sony. And so Sony wants Call of Duty to succeed, and so does Microsoft, and definitely, obviously, Activision Blizzard. So when it comes to what's next, I think that you can see the rise of cloud gaming being a sort of more affordable way for people to game, which would be great for people who don't want to buy, you know, and invest $500 to $1,500 into an Xbox or a latest PlayStation. So I think this is a net win for the consumer. I think over time, you're going to see increasingly more uh, cross-platform games like Fortnite, like Call of Duty. And I think that that will continue and gaming is going to thrive under the approval of this acquisition. Okay, Josh, if it doesn't get approved, how yep. does that change your own investment thesis? Do you hold back in terms of writing checks at the moment? We wouldn't hold back. So we focus on seed Series A investing, writing $1 to $5 million checks primarily into technologies, platforms, and infrastructure of the gaming industry. So we will continue investing at early stage, which is proving to be quite vibrant right now. But from a M&A landscape for our companies, once they get to later stages, that is actually where this could have an impact, is our vertical integrations and mergers and acquisitions going to be approved? And I think, as I mentioned earlier, with some of the cash that's out there waiting to acquire great companies, they might be um, more hesitant because of regulatory concerns versus pure you know, economic deal-making. Josh, this is the first opportunity I've had to ask you about Apple Vision Pro and gaming. What do you make of it? 
I think we're a long way off from the vision that we saw pitched. I think that it is very cool. This is going to be great for very solo experiences, but I view this as sort of one of the, just like the first Oculus that came out, if you remember that, Ed, everyone was very excited about it, but true adoption didn't happen until five, six, eight years later. So I think that the augmented reality world is coming and will absolutely be here. Um, we actually got excited about one of the other announcements they made where they are actually launching a gaming operating system to turn their PC industry with the Mac uh, into a gaming platform. That actually kind of went under the radar, but was one of the most exciting things we were watching is that they're opening up uh, the ability to run high-performing games on top of Macs. Uh, that will be much more impactful. I think in four, five, six years, the Vision Pro will enter certainly a more uh, affordable price entry point for the consumer. Uh, but yes. like many things, this is about wow now and then later uh, CMAC adoption. Josh Chapman, managing partner at Convoy, also talking all things Activision, Microsoft, and we are expecting any day now the judge to make a decision in that FTC pause request. Time for talking tech. First up, Ant and Alibaba are paying the price for Jack Ma's clash with the Chinese government. On Friday, Beijing announced a nearly $1 billion fine for Ant Group, but it signaled an end to a regulatory crackdown. Now, Jack Ma's Alibaba and Ant Group have collectively lost $850 billion in value since 2020, with Alibaba's market value off by about $620 billion from its peak, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. And Foxconn has determined it will not move forward on a semiconductor joint Joint venture with India's Vedanta. Foxconn said the company aims at exploring more diverse development opportunities and that the company is working to remove the Foxconn name from what is now a fully owned entity of Vedanta. Plus, Amazon's annual Prime Day isn't as popular as it used to be. In the past four years, the stock's actually fallen in the week of the two-day sale as investors' focus has shifted to AWS, its cloud computing business. One to watch. Carrie. It is. And let's stick on how Amazon is clearly a company that's been embracing the world of AI, like everything, but also more slowly been trying to embrace healthcare offerings too. We want to talk about that insect a little bit more, particularly as we recently saw in Connecticut, consumers getting more control over how businesses treat information about their health and data, particularly for those aged under 18. Lawmakers added the new requirements, for example, to the Connecticut Data Privacy Act, which took effect July the 1st. Joining us now about the insect of AI and healthcare is an expert in the field, Finit Sony, Suki AI founder and CEO you're really trying to basically give advantages to clinicians in particular, AI helping streamline their tasks. How much has data and privacy been one that you've had to navigate? Significant. I mean, you know, to be honest, the biggest public health crisis in this country that few people talk about is the fact that clinicians are burning out. Um, I would say 88% of all clinicians by some recent study have, don't recommend their own profession to their kids anymore. For every hour of clinical work you do, you spend two hours doing administrative work. So it's super important to actually figure out how to use AI uh, in healthcare. And the first place where you will start is probably in automating clinician workflows. If you're going to do that, then privacy, data, how do you actually retain it and take care of it becomes paramount. We are learning on Bloomberg technology, and we have been for a year now, that when you're building a large language model or foundation model, the quality and volume of data is key. So how do you 
reconcile the need for privacy with the need for massive volumes of data to develop next generation technology? You know, first of all, it's actually important to actually talk about what AI really is. The truth is here, you know, even a dog walking app has AI these days, and so yes. it's a little bit of a hype cycle that's going on. AI is a very broad term, and uh, it goes all the way from speech technologies, speech transcription technologies, um, understanding your commands, so intent extractors. Large language models is just the next generation of language model work that's happened in AI. You can actually make a big dent in clinical workflows by using all of these in some variety of fashions. Um, the truth is that the data in healthcare is very discrete and very specific, and so therefore you don't need tremendously large bodies of knowledge of data to be able to create tech that actually works in this space. Caroline, I think we have so many founders on this show, yeah. so many venture capitalists, and we do talk broadly about AI, but to be fair, we also find VCs that are very specifically focused on where they're putting money thematically or in a narrow field. So right, think about the applications in the legal field. We think about your applications in the healthcare field, Punit. And to that end, have you been taking a lot more calls from people wanting to put money to work in your own company? I know you raised funds, it's a significant round, what, back in 2021, but have you been looking at adding on in this particular realm? Yeah, I mean, the right time that will actually become very important. And, you know, as you scale the company, you have to do that. I think the primary question to ask is what problem are you really trying to solve? Uh, first and foremost, we want to make sure that clinicians don't have to really focus on, and on these screens and typing and checking boxes when they're actually talking to the patient. I mean, imagine a world when you walk in and you just ask, you know, Suki, which is kind of like a, a Siri for doctors, hey, yes. what's my day like? And it tells you, here's the next few patients you're coming and said, give me a summary of the next patient, show me the chest x-ray, summarize the findings for me, and then, hey, let's just edit it a little bit and push it into the underlying system of record. Well, quickly, the idea is that Suki does not replace human doctors, but it is uh, an assistant, yes. an aide. Yes. Mechanically, how does that work? Well, I mean, you know, imagine having something that's always with you everywhere you go, and when you walk into an exam room, you ask it to give a summary of the patient. When you are talking to the patient, what about you ask Suki to pay attention and it will take the doctor-patient encounter and create a clinical note out of it. What if you edit it, add some orders, and then you say, Suki, just submit that to the system of record. That is uh, an assistant for the doctor. And I think that is the future of where healthcare tech is going to be going. Suki, our founder and CEO, Punit Sony. Caroline, this is a topic on the show that we are going to continue talking about health in artificial intelligence. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York, and let's get you a quick update on the public markets right now, halfway through the trading day, and look a little bit more caution here in the United States, particularly in big tech. Look, the Nasdaq more broadly is a benchmark off by some three-tenths of percent. We've got, well, a very healthy jobs data that was clear from last week. Now we look ahead to what the CPI print, the inflation data is going to show us, and the Federal Reserve speak ahead of them going silent before they make the latest rate hike decision, as many are bracing for. I'm looking at the MSCI or Country World Index, so interestingly, Europe managed to pick itself up after a few days of sell-off. The macro data really out there showing that Europe could do with a little bit more purchasing power on the least on the day. We're seeing that the Golden Dragon Index in China showing that actually there was a little bit of a lift in Asia trading. Chinese stocks on the higher side, at least those traded in the tech world here in the United States, are 1.2%. As we understand, the Chinese government in particular is going to be showing some support to its property sector. But the all 
encompassing meaning is that maybe the Chinese economy gets a little bit of a boost. I'm looking at the individual movers. Microsoft on the downside, look, the Nasdaq 100 is under scrutiny because the magnificent seven of which Microsoft is one of them, and indeed so is Amazon, look, it's got two heavier weightings toward them. The outperformance of those seven stocks means that maybe we get a rebalancing coming July the 14th. What does that mean for how these stocks are traded in the ETFs, the QQQ, for example? We're currently trading down by Amazon. We look ahead to, of course, that all-important Prime Day tomorrow, tomorrow kickoff. And Rivian, I do this for you, Ed, because I know that you've been all over this stock after that exclusive conversation last week, up now nine straight days, potentially, a record run. That is a good stock to watch. Thank you. Now, global data analytics software maker Quantexa set to invest 250 million US dollars into new AI research over the next three years. The firm helps to uncover hidden risks and opportunities for financial services businesses. Joining us now is Quantexa CEO Vishal Maria from London. Vishal, is this a case of invest in AI or get left behind? Great question, Ed, and thanks for having me on. Um, I, I, th I think there's a couple of points here. So first and foremost, AI and machine learning has been in the DNA of context uh, since we started it in 2016. On the way we unify data, contextualize data, and support those insights for our clients to make better trusted decision, machine learning and AI has been through the platform end-to-end. -end. The investments we're doing today, and what we've announced this morning, is to catapult further investment in all things AI and machine learning to better serve some of the more harder applications when it comes down to regulated markets. You are based in London, of course, but also here in New York, Boston, Toronto, Malaga, you name it, you're across Europe in particular. Fischel, where do you allocate some of this money, this investment? Is it London or elsewhere? Great question, Caroline. So we are HQ'd here in, in the UK, and as you correctly state, we're in 20-plus cities worldwide, and you, you mentioned a few. And from the engineering perspective, our uh, heart of our engineering is done here in the UK. If that's data engineers, data scientists working with the core platform, verticalizing those applications in areas like data management, customer or patient 360, areas like KYC and AML, many of those applications are built here in the UK, working closely with many of of our strategic clients and those clients as as you said are globally so if they're in the US with large banks such as Bank of New York Mellon or insurance companies like uh, Allianz Group in Germany th these are major clients of Contexa that we work very closely with uh, based here in the UK. I mean Ed we sit here as three Brits but it's notable that the UK <laughs> has had a rich history with AI we know that DeepMind of course really built yes. there and it's something that the UK is trying to show off particularly with the US visit. There's a history of research in the UK, but also President Biden on his visit to UK. I, I'm told that the Prime Minister brought up this kind of cooperation Vishal, between the US and UK. What's your assessment of that, that cooperative work in the field of AI? So I think the, the field of AI, it, it is an ecosystem coming together when it's to do with academia, when it's to do with regulation or government, but also the enterprise. And obviously as tech providers like Quantexa, working in a broader ecosystem is critical for the success of AI. But one thing I would also add, um, Ed and Caroline, to, to, to your point of, of, of the visit uh, today, obviously AI, AI regulations and AI standards is really important to put in play because one thing that's critical here is AI is here to stay. You 
know, I studied AI 20 plus years ago. This is not necessarily a new technology. It's a technology which is at the forefront today. It's in prime time today. But ensuring that is treated carefully in a trusted and transparent fashion is really critical. And if that's any regulation or any standard or any collaboration between governments as a key topic, I think it's only important for organizations to be doing that. But Vishay, I do go back to the point Caroline made about your global footprint. When you listen to President Biden and you listen to Prime Minister Sunak, who is more convincing in the leadership of driving AI forward? Where do you want to put your money and find your talent, the UK or the United States? Great, great question, Ed. And, and I think from a talent perspective, we, we must always put our customers, our clients at the center to everything we do. When I started Quantext in 2016, it was with that sole mission to ensure that we put our clients, if those are large banks, uh, government organizations, insurers, or healthcare organizations, putting them at the center to our innovation is critical. So working closely with our clients, working closely with academia is obviously a critical part to any CEO strategy who is running a tech company. And we've obviously done incredibly well, both here in the UK, as well as in the US and other countries, in recruiting some of the best talent. You know, yeah. we work very closely with a number of universities to ensure we're working with some of the hardest, working with some of the hardest problems with those universities and looking at the talent from that perspective too. Vishal, what's interesting, of course, when you're in the intersection of finance and AI and tech, you're going to be very used to trying to navigate regulation when it comes to financial institutions. What about regulation of AI? I mean, I'm looking at the EU, you're in Ireland, you're in Amsterdam, Brussels, and clearly they're trying to act quickly on an AI act. Yeah, no, absolutely. So coming back to my, my earlier point, Karen, so everything we have done here at Quantexa from a, an AI machine learning trans, um, tr um, perspective is fully transparent, fully scalable. And most importantly, within our platform, we've adopted a white box uh, set of algorithms that are very clear to explain to any regulator, to any model risk management department in a, in a bank on A, how you stitch that data, but more importantly, why did you come to an out come to say this person's of interest or this party is not of interest. And that is at the common to most of the regulations globally. Uh, the transparency, the explainability and the ethical use of such data. When are you going to make a return on your big investment in AI? So just like with many investments, it's backed by a business case. And um, you know, this investment is, is completely uh, follows that, that path. Now, we obviously just closed our Series E at the beginning of April, where we um, um, raised just over 130 million at a valuation of 1.8 billion uh, led by uh, GIC. Now, as part of that investment, there is an investment case on where we deploy our funds, but we will take a long-term strategic view on this. And so are my investors. As I mentioned, AI is not just here today and gone tomorrow. AI is here and it's been here before and it will stay here uh, continually. But it's very important that organizations like Quantexa take a much more long-term view when it comes down to investments. And what I'm delighted, my clients, my partners, as well as my investors are all on that journey with us to ensure we're making, those, uh, making that impact in the market. Michelle Maria, great to have some time with you. Quantexa there based over in London. Meanwhile, coming up, look, we're going to be taking the pulse of the crypto VC industry. Remember when we only used to talk about crypto, now it's all talking about AI. Where's the intersection in that? Pitchbook crypto analyst going to be with us, of course. Robert Lay. Ed, what are you watching? Yeah.
Yeah, Snowflake. I'm looking at shares of Snowflake down 1.6%. Another name kind of at the intersection of cloud, enterprise, and AI. Not a lot in the news flow, but I would note that Frank Slootman, CEO and chairman, did uh, put a regulatory filing in Friday night to exercise options and some insider selling uh, going on uh, in that name. So that could be one of the factors impacting the stock to the downside. We keep looking. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Global VC funding into crypto in the second quarter of 2023 was the lowest amount since 2020. Meanwhile, AI is the green shoot every single VC here on Bloomberg Technology is talking about. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Hannah Miller, who's been going after uh, over the data. This is data from PitchBook, largely. What does it tell us? Yeah, so we've seen a continued steep decline in crypto venture funding, uh, especially compared to last year. So it's the worst quarter since 2020. Um, we had thought maybe it had bottomed out that you know funding would pop back up. That has not happened. Um, so you know I think VC are looking for a way to reignite interest in the crypto industry and founders are scrambling to get you know, funding when they can. Okay, Hannah, so where's the legit intersection of AI and crypto? You know, it's hard to tell because it's so nascent. You know, you have people arguing that crypto and blockchain can bring more decentralization to AI, which is really dominated by a few companies right now. But the companies that are building in the intersection of crypto and AI are, and AI are still very nascent. They're still working on stuff. They haven't released anything yet. So it's kind of hard to tell whether this will carry through and whether crypto and AI can go hand in hand. I want to show the data just for the United States. 
focused on AI, because when we consider global investments, the US and what we're seeing on our screen now, $31 billion year to date, is most of global spend. Yeah. So with AI, you know, people are interested in investing in it, that there are these deals that are happening in the space. You know, there was a slight decline quarter over quarter. Um, but overall, you know, things are happening here in the space. Hannah, you talk about how the startups themselves are pivoting, trying to sort of show their prowess in the intersection of AI and crypto. But what about the dedicated funds to crypto investing, the VCs? How are they allocating at the moment? Because a lot of them have a a lot of overhang from money lost in previous rounds, I would have thought. Yeah, so a lot of these crypto venture funds, they have mandates that require them to back the space. So they're obviously still going to be deploying capital. And they're looking for ways, you know, to, to spend their money wisely. And some of them are being drawn to this intersection of crypto and AI. And looking at companies like, you know, Tools for Humanity, which developed WorldCoin, as well as Jensen, which is developing a decentralized marketplace based on blockchain for compute power. WorldCoin. If in doubt, back Sam Altman, it seems to be the, the takeaway. Hannah Miller, thank you very much indeed. Really great to have a perspective to build up to what is now an integral conversation with PitchBooks crypto analyst Robert Lay, who I'm pleased to say is right here in New York. And Robert, we were hearing there about what a dire quarter it was for crypto VC and for crypto allocations. Does any of it look better going into Q3, do you think? Honestly, we think it will look better. Um, like Hannah just mentioned, a lot of these crypto VC funds, they have to deploy capital into space. Part of the slowdown is that the diligence cycles just slow down. Mm. So you look at in 2021 and 2022, some of those deals were happening in a one week or two week time frame. <laughs> I.e. not much due diligence. Exactly, right? And so now investors are taking the time, meeting the teams, meeting the founders, understanding the business model, understanding the product, product market fit, and then they're going to deploy capital. What we're looking at and talking about those crypto venture funds, last year alone there's $25 billion raised for crypto native funds. Mm -hmm. That capital has to be deployed over the next two to four years. So investors have some time because they just raised those fresh funds in 2022, but we think that as investors start to get comfortable with the different business models, the different opportunities in the crypto space, they're going to start deploying more. And then our um, outlook at the beginning of the year is that we're going to see an uptick in the second half of 2023 and it's going to bottom up around sometime in the summer and we're seeing that right now. It's so interesting to compare and contrast what's happening right now in AI and what happened in crypto. Ashton Kutcher was on Bloomberg Technology a few weeks ago saying he raised his $232 million fund in just five weeks. And we're, we're, we're basically talking about crypto so broadly, just like we talk about AI broadly. Are there any bright spots, specific areas in the underlying technology or marketplaces where there is still activity for crypto? Yeah, there are a few areas that investors are still really excited about and deploying capital in right now. And it's really three broad categories. Um, infrastructure, so you're looking at the underlying blockchains and the scaling solutions to make the blockchains faster and having higher throughput. Um, the service providers, so you think about a lot of institutional, fin uh, traditional financial institutions are still moving into the crypto space. We just heard about BlackRock and Fidelity refiling for um, the Bitcoin spot ETF. So there's a lot lot of institutional interest. So what are the technologies and software and services you can provide to help institutions move into this space? Custodians is one uh, type of technology or prime brokerage or trading services, anything that can help them better facilitate 
their entrance into the space and providing service to their customers. And the last area is what we call, um, and we just wrote research on this space, it's called Decentralized Physical Infrastructure Networks. I know it's a really long term, we call it DPIN. And it's any kind of real world um, infrastructure that can facilitate tokens to be able to provide services. So you can think about um, decentralized servers, um, mobile networks. So decentralized servers, um, Hannah just mentioned Jensen, they do a decentralized um, computing for training AI models. That's just an example. And they can use tokens to have anyone that has a computer can help um, facilitate and contribute power and uh, compute to that network. Kind of like an AI version of Filecoin. Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. I I'm interested in where these things are getting built because crypto is decentralized it's also global mm -hmm. and there was a bit of sort of regulatory arbitrage going on at one point is that still happening are some of the founders moving off going out of the US honestly we that is the narrative we just don't see that happening mm. um, we think that the talent largely is still here in the US um, a lot of the founders are still building here and they're recruiting talent here in the US um, you know a lot of folks talk about the strict regulations that's happening right now with you know the SEC CFTC the Fed all coming after crypto. Yeah. Um, that, I think, is not going to push founders to move abroad. And I'll give you a quick example. We know, we know in Europe, typically, their regulations are a lot more progressive. We know even with fintech, you look at PSD2 and open banking that happened a few years ago, a lot of folks said that fintech innovation is going to move to Europe. We never saw that happen. Still, a lot of the fintech innovations happening here in the US, and we expect the same for crypto. Now we have it, Ed. So all our talk of the founders leaving, not happening. But things can move so quickly, right? Yeah, I guess the question I have, Robert, is when's the rebound for crypto come? What, what moves the needle? Yeah, it's going to be mostly the funding, okay? Because startups are now, they need funding to grow and scale. So at what point will investors get comfortable? And our call still holds is that it's going to be sometime towards the end of this year. So as what investors are looking at, what projects are building the strongest um, products out there? And what are their underlying business models and how are they getting product market fit? And then the ones that are going to get that are going to get the funding. And we're going to expect to see that towards the end of this year. So, you know, the, the rebound's hard to say, but we're hoping sometime next year, early 2025, you're going to start seeing a lot more capital and a lot more um, founders coming into the space to build. Pitchbook crypto analyst Robert Lay with the backward-looking data, but also the forward-looking forecast. Thank you very much. Time now for going viral. It still is. A hundred million people are saying it's threads that's going viral. There has been much hype over Meta's newly launched social media app. That has, of course, Twitter on pretty high alert. Analysts over at Evercore ISI estimate that threads could actually near 200 million daily active users and generate about $8 billion in revenue by 2025. Now, look, $8 billion per year for the next couple of years, Ed. That is but a drop in the ocean of the 150 billion in revenue that Meta as a parent company brings in, but yeah. look, it's more than Twitter was making. But how do we reconcile that it will ever make money? Because if you think about it, Justin Lau, producer, just asked us, when does it become Twitter? The early engagements I've had on threads is everyone saying, we like that there's no ads. We like that it's just text, simple platform. I'm sure, but we all said that about 
all of the previous. And then we slowly but surely realized that that is the quid pro quo. You use it, you, of course, get have to pay for it in some way. It can't just be free. But I think what's more for a stumbling block for me is, is the decentralized element of it. We know that it's not part of the Fediverse quite here yet, but eventually it will be. And what does that mean for putting advertising within, well, the use on its own servers and the like? And what does it mean when it becomes more distributed? And Elon Musk has kind of leaned into that in his jabs on Twitter over the weekend, some of which he directed at Mark Zuckerberg. The, the complaint that I, that I hear and people thread me about is, is also discoverability. How do you find communities and groups that you want to share a conversation with? But it's a simple platform, and, and I love that we're already talking about how much money is this going to make? Well, yes. according to Evercore, $8 billion by 2025. Nice. I mean, that is what financial journalists do. It all comes back to the money, isn't it? But to that point, it's also still a baby. They kind of probably slightly rushed it coming to the fore because they were capitalizing on kind of difficult moment for Twitter. They yes. will start to have hashtags, I'm sure. I, who knows when they have a competitor to spaces and we can do go cross-platform on that one too. It's just a baby. I won't do the voice. Uh, but it's grown fast. 100 million users in a week. What can you say? Helps when they're just easily porting over from Instagram. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Ed, look, John Felton, he's going to be joining Amazon SVP Worldwide Operation, going to be talking Amazon's shopping extravaganza. It's Prime Day. You don't want to miss that conversation. Yeah, and if you missed any of today or you want to recap, don't forget about the podcast. There's a lot going on in every show from AI to what's happening in hardware and video games. So the podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and of course on our Bloomberg platforms. We have a massive week in the world of technology coming up. From here in San Francisco and out in New York with Caroline, this is Bloomberg Technology. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.